Hi, I'm Gordon. And I'm Fiona. We're from Gate Church International in Dundee, Scotland, and we'd like to welcome you to this week's podcast. Our goal here is growing people to bring Christ into our communities and to see you get connected with God, His people, and His purpose. We hope this message inspires you in your faith journey. Thank you. Thank you, uh, Gordon. Thank you, guys. Hey, why don't we thank, thank these guys, give appreciation. Marcus, if I could play another instrument, and if I could play it like somebody, it'd be bass guitar like Marcus. So good. He's even got two. He's got two guitars. Here we go. Okay, don't split your pants. You're on YouTube. <laughs> hey, are we well this morning? Good, good. I'm, I'm excited. I'm slightly nervous um, about bringing the word this morning. Um, we're going to be heading to Matthew 5 again as a church, and Pastor Gordon's done a brilliant job in a few weeks ago being in, in Matthew 5, and I'd encourage you to go and find the podcast and, and go and have a listen to those messages. And um, Ian Mackey brought an amazing word a couple of weeks ago from Galatians, and we had Craig, who brought an incredible word last week. Again, I'd encourage you to go and listen. But we're going to jump back. We're going to go back to Matthew 5. And what's known to us as, as Christ follows in the Bible is the Beatitudes. The Beatitudes. And, and again, Gordon's kind of done a, a brilliant job in just kind of illustrating those and talking about those. So I'm not, I'm not going to kind of set that platform again. But again, go away and have a listen. But, but it's the very start of Jesus' teaching. It's where he steps in th- 30 years of preparation for three years of ministry, and Jesus takes himself off, and he, he sits down, and, and he begins to teach. And, and we have this beautiful passage of Scripture in Matthew 5. And, and, and it's, it's in Matthew, and there's some of it in, in Luke as well. But, but scholars call it like the new, a new law, almost. A new law, but with new authority. See, Moses brought the law, but then Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah... Brought, brought the new law, and, and it wasn't to bring about more legalism. It wasn't about raising the bar to make us try and earn it more. No, it was about raising the bar that we would see the need for a savior. And Gordon talked about the ladder and how Jesus almost took the ladder from the floor and hired it, and there's no way of getting onto that ladder other than by grace, through faith, through the love of a heavenly father who sent his son to die for you and me, that now we can read these passages and not, not strive. But, but in the message, it talks about a rhythm of grace, that we can pursue the things of heaven, our relationship with, with God. Yes, we are destined for heaven. Yes, one day we will be in heaven. But our life as a disciple, our job as a disciple is to bring a bit of heaven to earth through the way we live, to be more like Christ tomorrow and today than we were yesterday. Hey, church, we will never quite get there. We never will. But does that mean we just stop and, and just play the grace card? Just, just, well, we'll never get, no, 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 no. No, Christ says, hey, here's some teaching. Here's some stuff to align to. Here's some things that can help you be the light of the world, Jesus said, to be salt and light. And we live in a society that is possibly more anti-God, more anti-church, more anti-Bible than maybe ever before. But then in some ways, there's nothing new under the sun. And so we can read the scripture. 
the Word of God, and, and it is absolutely applicable to today. And hopefully today I can maybe help us to, to see this passage and to help us on Monday morning in the office with your green tea or your coffee. So why don't you turn to Matthew 5 if you've got a Bible. I'm going to read all of it, but I'm going to focus on one little bit today. So Matthew's the author of this gospel. Scholars believe it was written somewhere between AD 70 and 100 after Christ, after the fall of the Roman Empire. And, and, and he, he wrote it to bring clarity and guidance. Some people like to look at Matthew and Mark and, and say, oh, there's conflict, there's contradiction. No, Matthew wrote to bring more clarity to help us. And, and they actually work hand in hand, and Scripture interprets Scripture. That's why it's important that we, we spend a lot of time in all of, all of the Scripture. But he's, he's, he's generally writing to a Jewish audience, a, a, an audience that generally are Christ followers. There's some Gentiles in there, but, but that's the context that we're reading from this morning. So Matthew 5, just shout if you're there. So three of you have got your Bibles open in church. Come on, people. I know it's Sunday morning, but let's get in the word of God. So now, when he saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. And blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Final verse this morning for now. Blessed are those, blessed are you when, you pe when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil things against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Hey, will you pray with me once more? Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for our church. We thank you for your word. It's your church, God, but thank you that we get to partner with you. We thank you for our pastors and our leaders. Lord, bless them over summer as they take some time to rest. God, I pray this morning as we read your word, Father, that we would have open ears and eyes and a supple heart that changes the way we go about our lives for your glory, your kingdom, and everybody said, amen. Hey, I'm sure you're all really, really interested this morning how I'm getting on with my DIY, right? Come on. So if you've got Instagram and you follow my gorgeous wife, she, um, she has an amazing Instagram page. It always looks really good. She always has like a theme. And um, husbands, if you ever get asked to take the photo, I can see Andy. You know, you know where I'm going with this. You've got to get that right photo, the right angle, the right colors. It's got to look good for the theme. Am I right? But anyway, she's been um, documenting our, we've just got our first house. We've been blessed, um, incredibly blessed to be able to buy a house and incredibly humbling in many ways. But, but we've had a great time just kind of trying to put our own stamp on it. And um, I'm not, I've not done much DIY. My dad raised me to be able to hold a paintbrush and little bits and pieces and, and stuff. But I haven't got the best track record. See, back in Preston, I took a drill to a wall and drilled through a radiator pipe. And um, 
water's spurting out everywhere. I'm panicking. And my wife, who is incredible, you know, I honor her every time I speak and have a microphone. Did she run to turn the water off? No. Did she call her father or my father? No. Did she get her phone out to put it on Instagram? Yes. (laughs) But I don't have the best track record, so much so that my mother rang me the other morning. My mum's not a morning person, so I was worried when my phone rang at about 9 o'clock in the morning, and it's my mum, and she's like, Simon, Simon, Simon. I was like, yes, mum, and she's moidering. She's like, I was up at 3 this morning, and I was worried that you've been doing some DIY. You need to buy one of those widget things. You need to buy one of those scanners. I was like, okay. And and then I was like, I need to humble myself. So I went on a well-known shopping website that delivers very quickly. Um, It's the same name as a rainforest. And and I got one of these stud finders, 995, came with the batteries and instructions. And and the thing with this this device, it's brilliant, is you can hold it up to the wall and it's got different settings. Now you you can set it to warn you away from things that are not good, wires, pipes, things like that radiator pipes, and, and it will tell you where these are and to stay away. But it also has another job. See, because this thing will tell you where the beams are. You see, and I, I see these beatitudes a little by, a bit like this because it, it warns us where not to go, but it points to something solid. It points to the beam, the infrastructure that we can go into, that we can build upon, that we can be, we can have a solid, firm foundation. And when we start with these beatitudes, we need to not look at ourselves first, but what does this say about who God is and Christ? Start there and then with ourselves. And, and I titled this message this morning, An Inside Job. An Inside Job. If you're taking notes then you will be more blessed tomorrow morning when the alarm clock goes off. I'm telling you now, you can write that title down, an inside job. And I want to focus in on one of the Beatitudes this morning, Matthew 5, 5. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the land or the earth. A nice, easy topic this morning in July, in summer, during the downtime, a nice, easy topic. Some of Jesus' teaching for us to digest. Are we excited, church? Come on. I love, I was doing some research this this week, and I love what Matthew Henry says about this portion of Scripture, these Beatitudes, because he says you can maybe narrow these down to the four purposes of the Beatitudes. And he says it's to reshape what rich is in a ruined world. Isn't that beautiful? To reshape what rich is, what blessed is, in a spiritually deprived, barren, ruined world. He said they're there to encourage the outcast and the down. Feeling a bit down this morning? A little bit rejected? Maybe a little bit outcast in a work situation? Isn't this scripture such an encouragement? He said it's an invitation of our soul. So beautiful. And the final thing is he says it outlines the relationship between God and man. See, we're not here for religion this morning, church. We're here for a relationship with our Father. We, we have the Bible. It is truth. And we want to follow the truth. We want to walk in the ways of righteousness. Will we get it wrong sometimes? Absolutely. Will we slip up? 
absolutely, but we are saved by grace. We're not trying to earn it this morning, but grace demands a response. Someone paid a price for you, Jesus. He bankrupt heaven for you. And I always say this to our young people, if you were the only person on this earth, God would still have sent his son for you. And if you listen to nothing else this morning, that's okay if you remember that one thing, that Christ died for you. What an expression of love. But what does it look like? Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. And we see this word meek, and and we can start to lean towards gentle and humility, and and there's part of it, but it's not absolute in the original language. But to, to be meek is to not feel like you have to impose yourself on a situation or somebody. To be meek is to take a step back and accept teaching, to accept guidance, and, and there's some things in here that I'd love you to write down this morning that I've taken from this passage. But it talks about an inheritance, a promised land. And obviously, again, Jesus is talking to a Jewish audience context, promised land. The ears would start to prick up whenever Jesus started to talk about the promised land, the Jewish audience. And Jesus was doing that beautiful thing where he, he kind of sends the line out far and says, hey, heaven. But then he brings it right back down to right now. Heaven, out here, hey, but right now, what does this look like? Yes, there is an inheritance that awaits us in heaven. But the here and now, there's a blessing, there's an inheritance for us. And Gordon has kind of clarified already this word of blessed. It does not mean to have stuff. Yes, we have a good, good father who blesses us, who gives us favor when we don't deserve it. But... It's not why we take the Beatitudes. We do not take the Beatitudes and look at, we will inherit the earth, right? What do I have to do? I need to be meek. No, 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 that's not what the Beatitudes are about. It's about a promise of an inheritance. And and God is true to his word, so then we obey and we follow. And we look at Jesus in these Beatitudes, and how can I be more like Jesus? How can I be more meek? You see, the thing with any of these meek, poor in spirit, they, they will outwork themselves. They will manifest themselves in what you do, but it is, starts with who you are. It's less about what you do, and it's more about who you are. Your value this morning is not caught up in playing the guitar, preaching, serving the coffee, being in the car park team. That's brilliant. That's really important. You have a skill set, but your value and your purpose is, is first who you are as a child of God. See, what you do will change in seasons of life. I've not always had the microphone. I've, I've served in different teams. But if my value was caught up in what I did, I lose my value when what I do changes. But if I know who I am and why I'm doing what I'm doing, then whatever I'm doing, whether we're cleaning the toilets, whether we're out in the pouring rain, or whether you do get an opportunity and I'm humbled by this opportunity every time I get it, who I am is the same as who you are. And we're all building the same kingdom this morning. We're all trying to change the same city this morning for God's glory. And the first thing I, I thought from, from this is, I am secure, and therefore I do not need the spotlight. I am secure, I do not need the spotlight. When Jesus said, hey, blessed are the meek, you are blessed, you, you will inherit the earth. You do not need the spotlight if you know who you are in Christ. If you are secure in who you are, you do not worry about the spotlight because you know that heavenly Father sees you and loves you. If you know the love of the Father and the value that Christ put on you, you do not worry about the spotlight. 
Will you have opportunities to be the light of the world? Absolutely. Will, you have, will we have the next politicians, the next musicians, the next whatever it is in the, this room? I pray to God that you get an amazing platform. But I also pray that it is for the glory of God and that whatever you get to do and whatever life brings, that you will always point it to heaven. But if we go after the spotlight, if we feel like we have to get that opportunity, we've got to strive to make it. We're missing what Jesus was teaching. He was saying, hey, like, be secure. Know who you are. You are a child of God. I've bought you at a price. You were once dead. Now you are alive. And see, when we start there, a humility and meekness to go, ah, man, look how far off I was. Look how far I was. Look how much God has saved me. Then we stop looking to try and get in the spotlight. We stop looking at, if we realize how lost we are, we stop doing this brilliant thing we do in church where we start to level sin. We start to look at them and go, ah, at least I don't do that. Or at least I don't do that sin. And the Bible says sin is sin. Sin leads to death. But you see, when we are meek and humble and teachable and gentle, we don't worry about the spotlight because we are secure. I have a hope, a firm foundation. Blessed are the meek. Christ lives inside of us. We look at Christ's example. Did he come to be served? No, he came to serve. He washed his disciples' feet. He got down on his knees because he knew absolutely that he was about his father's business. He knew absolutely what was set before him, the joy set before him. He endured the cross. Are you looking to set up others to win? You see, I think when, when a church, and, and I think this church is brilliant at this, don't get, you know, don't get me wrong this morning, this is not a, a heavenly rebuke. This is you know, an encouragement as much as it's a challenge, but are you setting others up to win? Or are you looking for the support light? You see, like if you're secure you, you, and you're okay with who Christ says you are, then you're totally okay with someone else taking the limelight. You're totally okay with someone else taking the plaudits. Look at someone like James Anthony. Like he and, and Felicity, and we could go on, the list could go on. And Ollie, tirelessly working behind the scenes, tirelessly putting in the graft that all you see, Sebastian, you wouldn't be able to hear me if it wasn't for Seb doing what he's doing right now. Blessed are the meek. <laughs> For the purposes of the tape, Seb just muted my microphone. But they know who they are in Christ. And our pastors are, are working hard to cultivate a culture of, of knowing what we're doing here. So that whatever you do, it, it's just rooted in who you are. And, and we need to be better, always be better at, at setting others to win. I love how Eugene Peterson writes in, in Hebrews. He says, hey, we need to find innovative and creative ways to love and encourage each other. I love that. We, like, there's my challenge for you tomorrow. Be the most creative you can be to go and bless someone. Not for your glory, but for God's glory. And that's how we are, the salt and light of the earth. Number two, I have authority from him, but I am not arrogant. You see, we can be bold and not brash. See, the Bible says boldly approach the throne of Christ, right? We can be bold in our approach because of grace. Not, not with our head high, our shoulders back, strong and courageous. No, I, I can have 
authority in, in who Christ, what Christ has commissioned me to do, but I do not need to be arrogant with that. You see, here's some of the things that the Bible says about the authority. Luke 10 says, behold, I have given you authority to tread on the serpents. 2 Corinthians, we have divine power to take every thought captive. James, it says, resist the devil and he will have to flee. Mark says, you'll be able to cast out demons in my name and stand on serpents. Genesis says, you've got dominion over every living thing. Church, we do have an authority that we work in, walk in because of Christ. But I think for too long, the church and Christianity global has had an arrogance sometimes that has sent people running from church. Yes, do we have the truth? Yes, do we have the only way? Yes, is no one else coming? Absolutely. But we need to have a love and a gentleness and a meekness in about how we communicate that to the world. You can have authority without being arrogant. You can know whose you are and who you are without having this arrogance of check me out. And, and again, this is a massive mirror. Like I remember my school days and I look back at, at my high school days and, and I, I struggled with a lot of bullying. Like I was bullied and, and but you know, I get to a place now where I hold my hand up and I, and I felt like I had to try and get the spotlight. I tried and had to earn my value. I tried to be the cool kid. I needed to tell people how good I was at stuff. And it resulted in bullying. Like, and, and I look back and there were some things that I couldn't have done. But I think actually I need to swallow some humble pie. And look, it was because I didn't realize the authority I had. And it came out in an arrogance that we do not need to have. We need a gentle spirit as we go into the world. Mother Teresa said this, if you've got... If you are so busy judging people, you've less time to love them. Whew, that's a word, Mother Teresa. But she served. Did she have authority? Absolutely. Did she? Are we talking about Mother Teresa years later? Absolutely. But was she arrogant? No. She had a meekness. I, some of you will know, I, I meet with, when we moved to Scotland, um, Two years ago, actually, to nearly the date, an incredible story, just God's kind of provision. But we moved into this flat in Brotty Ferry, Snotty Ferry. Don't live there anymore. We missed the seaside. But, but we moved in, and, and sure enough, our neighbors above us, Charlie and Kathleen Webster, some of you will know them. 70s, walking with Christ 60 years, married 43 years, the most gentle, meek, humble people I've ever met. And I meet with Charlie every month, and he's really well read, and his theology is really good, and we meet this little kid with a scruffy beard, meets with this guy, and we drink coffee, and we open the word, and he teaches me. And I love it because I will, I will prepare, he gives me homework, he gives me these worksheets, right? And I will take something, and, and I'll, I'll have read something, and, and Charlie, at 70 odd, preaching the word for 50 years, will go, oh, I'm going to write that down. That's brilliant. And I love that because he will teach me and he will walk with authority and he will teach me with authority, but he's not arrogant. He doesn't sit there like, mm. he doesn't listen to my sermons and, and send me a text to say, oh, that theology wasn't quite right. No, he'll encourage me. He'll guide me. But we need more Charlie and Kathleen Websters. And if you are a more mature generation this morning, can I encourage you, find someone young, find a younger person, don't, don't go to them to try and correct them. Just help them. Be gentle. Be kind. Absolutely give them a clip around the ear. If any of our teenagers give you jip, you have mine and Tori's permission to give them a clip around the ear. 
But I talked about it months ago, that beautiful kind of exchange and relationship between the old and the young, and it starts with a humble heart in all of us. How am I doing for time? I've got six minutes left. Number three, my pursuit is heavenward, therefore I do not pine for position on earth. Turn to your neighbor, check they're still awake, and say, my pursuit is heavenward. And turn to your other neighbor, Maybe one behind you say, I do not pine for position. 2 Corinthians 4 says this, While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. We need to play like a long game, church. We need to be steady like Gordon was saying. Each day we need to play the long game. My pursuit is heaven. Heaven is my home. But while I'm here on earth, I've got a job to do. To bring glory to God. To walk in his blessing. But, but, but I'm pursuing something eternal and not something temporary. I don't feel like I need to pine for this position. And you know what? You think straight away position. You think about careers, jobs, church maybe. And totally. But think about just every conversation. Are you pining for a position in that conversation? I know I've done it. Let me tell you about how good I am. Let me tell you about my week. Let me tell you about this that happened. And we do it. We all do it. And sometimes it's just an excitement. But sometimes it's an insecurity that we feel we have to like strive for this position. But, but you see, my pursuit is heaven with something eternal. And, and, and I've been prepping this week. And, and I went to play golf on Friday in Braemar. All the golf widows booed Yasmin. Tory. Any other golf widows in here? Any other husbands play golf? No, just the two of you, okay. But but I was, I was thinking about this, blessed are the meek, right? Blessed are those who are patient in affliction, one scholar put it. And, and, and I get up on the first tee with 30 other gentlemen who don't know me, and I'm competitive, and I'm okay at golf, but I had this, this unction, this urge to like, I need to, I need to you know, give a decent account of myself, right? I need to look okay. I need to look kind of, so I tee the ball up and I hit it because I'm looking, you know, I want to, I, I want my position in this crowd, I want to win this thing. And you see, the thing is with golf is you can't win it in one hole because it's 18 holes, but you certainly can make a right mess of it and lose it in one hole. So I hit one ball out of bounds, okay? So then you have to count like a drop shot. I'm sorry for the context here, but you need the education because I know None of you are interested right now, but anyway. So two, three. So I'm hitting my third shot, right? Three already. I've not even started. First hole. First three off the tee. Out of bounds to the left. So now, I mean, amongst people who aren't Christians, but they know that I'm a churchgoer. They know, so like, I'm taking my deep breath. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. I am the salt and the light of the earth. Okay. Yeah, you guessed it. Three out of bounds. I'm now hitting my eighth shot, and I've not even got off the tee box. Blessed are the meek. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus, for the timing of this illustration. <laughs> but the thing is, we can be like that in, in Christianity and in our walk with Christ where we pine after position. I need to show everyone what I can do. I need to show everyone how good I am at golf. And golf is a humbling sport just like life can be. And see, when we pursue something of heaven, something eternal, 
then, then we don't always worry about what is seen because we know what's on the, in, the unseen. Jesus was always about the unseen. Was he visible? Yes, but he only displayed his power in the right time. See, Jesus was supposed to come in on a big stallion, right? He rode in on a donkey. He talked about seeds under the ground. He taught about the unseen because he knew that this, what was going on on the unseen was far more powerful than maybe what was seen. Peter in the garden, ear. Peter just like, Christ, what are you doing? You've got to, you know, fight. And Christ is like, yeah, you don't know what's going on under the surface. You see, when we pursue something of heaven, we don't worry about what is seen. We're, we're worried about, we're not worried, but we're focusing on the heart and what is going on on the unseen. Because Galatians says, in the right time, you will reap a harvest. Focus, worry about our heart. Let's take a heart check from these beatitudes every morning. My pursuit is heavenward. Things that are eternal are not the temporary. We can apply that to so many things. Don't check out for that relationship. Don't check out on sex before marriage. Don't check out on, on quick fixes in your business because you're struggling. Don't check out, church. We're here to play a long game. We're, we're here to go play the long game. We're heaven bound. We're pursuing the things of our Father. And there's so many times where we can just check out, take the quick fix, or get that position. And God says, no, 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 no. Pursue heaven. Pursue righteousness, the Bible says. Mercy and goodness will follow you all the days of your life. Don't check out. Number four, I'm nearly there. The band can jump back up as I try and land this plane. I'm going to get some Scottish water. Hey, is this, is this, is it helping anyone this morning? I know it's not easy. <laughs> and I don't bring this word of, from a place of, I've nailed this. Now this has been a, a big mirror all week for me. Number four, I am about an audience of a one, not the attention of many. I am about an audience of one, not the attention of many. Who are you trying to please? What and who are you trying to prove something to? And we all do it. We all, we all want to do well in our jobs or in our families. We all want to wanna live a life, you know, that's prosperous. But, but when you're about an audience of one, you don't worry about the attention of many. Colossians 3.23 says, hey, do everything. Do everything. Everything you do, do it for the glory of God. Matthew 5.15 says, hey, do good works. Why? So that the world would see Christ in you. And, and we need to be about an audience of one. Jesus was about his father's business. Jesus was about an audience of one. He didn't worry about the attention of many. When he performed the miracles that caused controversy, when he was seen with the woman at the well, it was about an audience of one. We need to grasp this, that everything we do is for building the kingdom of God. You have a part to play in impacting this city and to change this nation. I said it at the start, I don't know what you do, whether you're working, retired, high up position, low, up, low position as you see it, you've got a part to play in building God's kingdom. And I guarantee if you go about what you do with an audience of one heart, you'll start to see God building his kingdom through you. You'll start to hear testimonies 
where people say, I didn't know what it was about, that person, but every time they made me a cup of tea, every time they gave me a biscuit or brought just simple acts of kindness, there was something different about them because Christ followers were just going about their business in an audience of one. I read this week as I was studying, I found this quite, quite interesting. A hydrogen atom, a hydrogen atom, right? My dad's ears have plucked up as a physics teacher. A hydrogen atom gives off over a hundred different frequencies or particles vibrating. You know, a grand piano only gives off 70 frequencies. There's just something about maybe an unseen small thing that in some ways is more powerful than the big grand piano. Sometimes we'll have opportunities, we'll have platforms and grasp it, take it with two hands, own your moment, but be about an audience of one. In every conversation you have with another disciple, another Christ follower, friend, in your family, with your brothers, your sisters, your mums, your dads, your husbands, your wives. Don't pine after the position. Don't pine. Don't compete. Be confident in who you are in Christ. And about an audience of one. And when we come together and we all have an audience of one heart, we start to see a unity that is secure in love. And the, the world starts to see and look. And go, what, what is that group of crazy people about? Why is that person different? Just about an audience of one. Just about bringing glory to God in my life. He saved me, set me free, set me upon a rock. This meekness thing is not, you know, it's almost paradoxical. It's not, it's not about us just lying down and just not speaking up at the right time and just, just everyone kind of, no, no, it's, it's not that, but it's, it's an inward security and confidence. It means we do not always worry about what's going on on the outside. And there's this beautiful picture, and this is, I promise, where I'm going to finish. In Acts 7, I think it'll be up on the screen, Acts 7. And you'll probably know this story, and you may even seen of this passage. I had this revealed to me by kind of my pastor back home, my best pal, and he showed me this. It's just beautiful, because, so you know Stephen, right? Come on, church. <laughs> He'll go to sleep on me now. The first martyr is famously kind of known. Stephen is stood before the Sanhedrin. Maybe the same kind of group of people that just years before, just earlier, just kind of stood and judged Jesus. He stood before, and we have this account. I'm going to read from verse 49. And, and, and the crowd is saying, hey, Stephen, renounce your faith. You're blaspheming. Stop it. And this is like Stephen's response. Talk about like authority without arrogance, just an authority in what Jesus said. Heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. So Stephen's talking Jesus' words. What kind of house will you build for me, says the Lord? Or where will my rest in place be eternal? Has not my hand made all these things? God's in control, his sovereign church. You stiff-necked people, Stephen says, with uncircumcised hearts and ears, you are just like your fathers, you always resist the Holy Spirit. Was there ever a prophet your fathers did not persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one. And now you have betrayed and murdered him. There's authority there, church. He's speaking the truth. But there's also a bit of a humility because he's talking about the work of Christ and not himself. 
And that's kind of this juxtaposition we find ourselves in. Truth and love. A little bit of grace makes way for a whole lot of truth. A little bit of grace makes, but look at this. So we're all kind of theologians in the room, right? We all know where, where is Jesus right now? He is seated, right? Seated at the right hand of God. Look at this. I'm going to Verse 54. So they're getting pretty angry at Stephen. He's saying, hey, Christ was the Messiah. He came, he died, he rose again. He no longer lived the law. Right? Salvation through faith. So when they heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God. Look at it. Look at it, church. Jesus, what is he? What is he? Standing at the right hand of God. An audience of one, Stephen says, hey, I know what I believe. I'm not going to waver from the truth no matter what. I'm going to be meek in this situation. I'm going to have authority. I'm going to pursue the things of heaven. I'm not bothered about the spotlight. I'm secure. I know where I'm going. If you take my life right now, I'm going to heaven. But he looks up and he sees the advocate, Jesus, standing. And my encouragement this morning is whatever you walk into tomorrow, and scholars, whether you think this is metaphoric, whatever it is, the point is this, that you have someone in heaven that sees you. And if everything else fades away, and you're in about an audience of one, and you look up to heaven and remember Stephen, about to lose his life, about to be stoned for this thing, this new, this crazy thing that Jesus had taught. And he sees Jesus standing next to his father saying, hey, go on my good and faithful servant. Maybe a bit of kind of, what's the word I'm looking for? Speculation. I don't think Jesus kind of stood there next to the father like, I think like he was kind of like heartbroken seeing put so like excited call my son this is why I sent my son to die the father sees Stephen standing there in front of these people saying hey and who was there at the time when Stephen was stoned who was there watching maybe even helping Saul and now we have the word of God we have the church because of Christ's work but if Saul maybe not seeing Stephen's meekness that day and to see the Father and the Son standing in heaven. It's all part of God's plan, his sovereign plan. He has a plan for your life. Don't quit. Keep going. Blessed are the meek if you inherit a land. We're heaven-bound, church. We're heaven-bound. I'm excited, but there's work to do. I'm excited for tomorrow, what God wants to do tomorrow. Slightly nervous about what the Holy Spirit might prompt me to do tomorrow, but I'm excited because I'm about my father's business. An audience of one. Hey, why don't you jump to your feet? Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. Oh God, we thank you for the joy that it is to gather as your church, your body. Thank you for your word. I thank you that even in the truth of your word, we see it right there. There's grace and there is love. 
God, help us to take this teaching to pursue the things of you, to be more like you each day. Why? God, the world would see a light shine through us and that we would see a city transformed. We would see a nation changed. Holy Spirit, come and help us right now in this moment where maybe it stings a little bit. Come and just bring that correction as a father does to a son, that we would be transformed from the inside out this morning. Thank you for every child, every son and daughter of Christ in here this morning. You know, you see them. Just as you saw Stephen, you see them. And whatever they go through, they would know that you are with them always till the very end of the time. Everybody said, amen. Hey, let's, let's worship church.